last week we were we talked quite a bit about baptism, and we talked about it a little bit more on uh, Wednesday. So I was debating on whether to share the uh, why I preach from the King James or the Authorized Version, and since she did that song, I'll go ahead and. You know, here, this is a criticism, and I'm going to read the question. This is out of that same book from Samuel Gipp. I got three of them, and I think I read one out of another one of his books. But anyway, this is a question. All of these are questions, and then he answers them. So here's the question that was presented to him. It says, why were the King James translators afraid to translate baptizo correctly if they had translated it as dip, plunge, or immerse, it would have made it clear that baptism was by immersion only with no option of pouring or sprinkling. So, so what, what's being accused is you know, the accusation is, is that the King James translators were afraid of King James. And the reason behind it is they said that King James, as King of England, was head of the Anglican Church, and the Anglican Church were into baby baptisms, and some churches sprinkled babies and poured water on their head instead of dunking them under the water. And if they was to have translated it, plunge or dip or immerse, it would have hurt his feelings. He would have got mad at him. All right? You may have heard that before. You may hear it in the future. It's total nonsense. They were not one bit afraid of translating it any particular way. They translated the way they felt it needed to be translated. I, I, I believe they were moved by the Holy Spirit in what they were doing. Well, if you do the history on King James, he was actually brought up in Scotland, and he was actually a Presbyterian. So for him to actually be offended by what the Anglican church was doing, it just really doesn't matter that much. Okay? Well, in the 1800s, there was a couple guys who fixed that so-called mistake. And they had what was called the... Uh, um, they named it the corrected version of the New Testament, and it was 1850, and they presented it to all the church leaders. It was overwhelmingly rejected. And I, and I mentioned, I can't remember if it was Wednesday night or last Sunday, I mentioned that I love the word baptize. Baptized, baptized. It, it's perfect because there's several things in the Bible that we can say they were baptized into, but they weren't immersed into anything, but they were totally into. You know, you're, you're baptized into Jesus. So it, I think it's perfect. The word is fine the way it is. And it's really good news because if they were able to pull it off and they changed it, let's say it got changed back in the 1800s. Think of all the, the first Baptist church would have to change their name to the first dipped church. What, you know, West Salem down here. We'd have to go down there and say, you need to change your name to West Salem Plungers. And think about it. You know, Baptist is fine. 
and all the Baptist churches can keep their names. They don't have to change anything. And it's, notice that it's always an attack on the King James. Do you realize all new translations, every last one of them, baptized is used? Every, every, every one. The fame, the, what we talked about last week, uh, Acts 8.36, the Ethiopian eunuch saying, well, here's water, what hindered me to be baptized? All right? It, did anybody fix it? If that's a problem, did any of the new versions, what about the old versions, the new version, uh, um, uh, Wycliffe Bible from 1380 said baptized. The Geneva Bible says baptized. Revised Version, American Standard Version, Revised Standard Version, the New American Amplified, the Old Amplified of, six, of 1965, the New Amplified of 2015, the Good News Bible, the, the New English, the Living, the New International, the New King, every new version, in that verse, every last one of them says baptized. So why isn't anybody saying, what were the NIV translators afraid of? The King James... King James translators were afraid of King James. No. What were the NIV translators afraid of? They used baptized as well. It's perfect. It's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. So that's just another reason why I preach from the authorized version. So turn in your authorized version, your King James Bible, or whatever Bible you happen to have. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Again, I've been trying to get to chapter 13 for a while now. I apologize for, you know, leading you on, thinking that we were going to be there this Sunday. But I also said, I, I had a little uh, clarifier there where if I'm not in 13, hey, it's not my fault. I'm, 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 I'm being led by the Spirit, and I tried to, I wanted to blow by 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like I was not, allowed to do that. So we are going to be just in chapter 5 today. I'm going to try. I got three full pages of notes, so I should be able to stay on point pretty good. The only problem is there are several points. All right. The Sermon on the Mount. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I had to use that verse last night. Um, I can't remember what I was getting fussed about. Somebody was fussing at me, and I was able to, hey, blessed are the peacemakers. It's good to know these verses. Memorize them. The memory verse is going to be uh, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
for they shall be filled. That's the one to really pay attention to, and that's our golden verse for today. And I'm going to keep reading. Uh, peacemakers is where I stopped. Ten, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, and if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. All right, I'm going to stop there. If you, as you, if you read through, when you get over to, uh, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, over in 29, it talks about, uh, well, let's go back to 27, that's a good one. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now over here I read, uh, Blessed are the pure in heart. So just remember that. If, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If, if I took a person, just a person, that I knew needed to know the Lord, they needed the gospel, they needed help, and I just told them to read chapter 5 of Matthew. So say, here, read it. And they read that. What do you think would happen if that's all I gave them? Just read that. And what if I made the impression that I keep all this perfectly? I've got it all figured out. I'm just so awesome. And this is what I do. And here, read this. You should do the same thing. Come on, join us. Wouldn't go over too well, would it? Now, who's the audience here? The audience, when, when this, G, Jesus has gone up on the mount, and he, he gets up there, and his disciples come unto He sees the multitude. You go, you go back to 25 of uh, chapter 4, and there followed him great multitudes of people 
from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and, and Judea and from beyond Jordan. And when Jesus sees the multitude, he, he tries to get away from them. He goes up on the mountainside, and it says that his disciples followed him there. So this is directed at the disciples, and I think that the, it was for the disciples, but everybody could hear it. And you know what? It's in our Bibles, which means it's directed to us as well. We're... We're supposed to be more like this than not. So the audience is really us. Now, all, now see, remember the differences and how different Matthew is from the other Gospels. The, this whole beatitude section of Scripture, over in Luke, there's some beatitudes over there too, but it's described in Luke, you can cover it all, in about 30 verses. When Matthew, it's 107 verses. Big difference, isn't it? What does blessed mean? It means happy. So, here then is the Lord's recipe for a happy life, a happy death, and a happy eternity. Happy, happy, happy. Somebody wrote a book with that title, and I really like that guy. He got in big trouble for saying a Bible verse. He just, uh, I'm talking about Phil Robertson, if you don't know. He wrote a book, well, I think it was the first book he ever did after Duck Dynasty was, was uh, you know, when it was doing good. So I think it's at our house. I think Michelle read it years ago. Happy, happy, happy. So my second point. The secret of true blessedness, or to be happy, happy, happy. In this sermon, we have basically the heart of Jesus on display, and he fulfilled every bit of this. If you paid attention to what I was reading, Jesus actually did all of those things to perfection. Jesus did it. So, what I want you to, to, to really... Take to heart, and, and this has been read recently, Matthew 11, 28, and 30. When I, when I did the, uh, at least two sermons on entering into his rest, that wasn't that long ago, I read this. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek, and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if, if, you, if you just take this and give it to somebody and say, read it, you need to be this way, without sharing them the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to be, they're going to be in bad shape. You're not doing them any good. Because... The only person who's ever measured up to all those things that Jesus just told his disciples is Jesus himself. Okay? The first one was to, the, the poor in spirit. What does, I mean, nobody wants to be poor. But to be, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And, and if you are, what do you get from it? 
you get the kingdom of heaven. The, to be poor in spirit is to have genuine humility. It's uh, that sense of understanding that you're, you're so spiritually pitiful. And that consciousness of how pitiful you are spiritually is the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, that you see that you are just, you're, you're nothingness compared to God. That, that's, that's being poor in spirit. And we need to get to that point because there's too many people who think that they're good. They, they measure up to world standards. They, they're better than that person and that person. But we need to measure ourselves up to Jesus. And we will start to see how poor in spirit we are. And if we get that, then that opens us up. See, see these first three, you've got the poor in spirit, the mourner, and then the meek. Now, these three deal with what we should be or what we are if we be in Christ. Now, the verse that goes along with being the poor in spirit, here's Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly, than to divide the spoil with the proud. The second one, in verse 4, the mourner. Blessed are they that mourn. So what do you get if you are mourning? What's your reward for that? You will be comforted. What does the Holy Spirit do for you? He's the comforter, right? The mourner. Okay, are you sorry sorrowful for sin? Does, does, it, does it hurt your heart? We are in sorrow for sin if we're, if we're mourning. The sorrow is for our sin and the sin we see all around us, the sin that breaks God's heart and His laws. We are sorrowful for the broken lives that sin causes. Make sense? Do you, do, does sin break your heart? Do you, when you see sin, does it bother you? Do you mourn over it? But the promise is that we will be comforted if that's the case. All right. Where is... Oh, right here. All right. The verse that goes with that is Isaiah 61, another verse that I just read not that long ago. This is Isaiah 61. And it actually deals with the mourner and the meek. You'll hear both of those words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Verse 5, the meek. 
what do you get if you're meek? You will inherit the earth. Meekness is strength under control. To be meek is to be gentle, patient, not given to anger or resentment. An example of Christ being meek, the Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey colt instead of a war horse. Jesus deserved to be on a mighty stallion, but he came riding in on a donkey's colt. That's meek, being meek. 1 Peter 3, verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So to be, to be meek to God, that is, you, you are of great price when you are displaying that. So again, those first three are what we're supposed to be, or better stated, what we are if we are in Christ. Verse 6, this is the one that, this is our golden verse. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Think about how if you get really hungry, if you get really thirsty, what you will do, you know, how, how consumed you are with finding food and finding something to drink. And most of us probably have never been there. I, I remember reading uh, the book uh, Lone Survivor, Marcus Luttrell. Best book I've ever read, other than the Bible, of course. But as far as a book that somebody has written on this earth, the story of what he went through, he was the only one that survived, and he was wounded. He was, an, an RPG blew him off the side of the mountain. And he was, you know, when you're bleeding, you know, you, you, you wound a deer when you're deer hunting, and you go, you go, you end up going, if you can't find it, you just start going to water, right? When you're bleeding, you will become very thirsty. And he was so thirsty, trying to get away from Al-Qaeda or Taliban, whoever was after him, and he, he could hear water way out in the distance, and he struggled and struggled to get there, and when he got there, he just kept drinking and drinking, but he was so thirsty. We need to be people who are hungry and thirsty for the Word of God. We need to be that way. And if we come to the Lord hungry and thirsty, He is very willing to fill us. Nothing excites him more than to see people come and be so hungry and thirsty, and he is ready to fill you. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. John six thirty five, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. 
Verse 7, the merciful. What do you get if you're merciful? You obtain mercy. Justice was the heart and soul of the law. Mercy is the heart and soul of, of the gospel. He who shows no mercy destroys the bridge over which he himself must pass. You know, when I, as soon as I read that and was writing that down, it made me think of Matthew 18. This will be familiar to you. Starting with 21. This is Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But, as, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, and saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Now, I mean, this guy, he owed 10,000 talents. And then he went out and found, after he was forgiven completely, he went out and found somebody that owed him only a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So the word got back around to the king. Now notice, notice that at the beginning of this, it said that it says worship him over in verse 26. So you wouldn't do that to a normal king. Jesus is talking about your Father in heaven who has forgiven you of so much, has saved you from your rightful place in hell forever, forgiven you any debt that you could possibly have, and then you going out and not having one bit of forgiveness. What has somebody done to you compared to what we've done to God? And you won't forgive these little things amongst your brothers and sisters. You, don't, you won't forgive those. And when you get to the end of this, it says, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. You know, that's, that's law right there. That's, that's basically saying that if you don't forgive somebody, that he can actually take away the forgiveness that he gave you, but that's why Matthew is so different. Because if you are truly born again, because you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he did for you, you're saved. 
And if you go out and you don't forgive somebody else, is that going to take your salvation away? It won't take your salvation away. You are eternally secure in a true salvation. But what this is saying is, how could you not forgive those? And you are in danger of burning that very bridge that gets you to him. If you have, so what will the merciful get? They will get mercy. Pure in heart. Verse 8. The pure in heart. I got a lot on that one. And that's why I went over and read a little bit over on the, uh, you know, on the other side of the page here that talked about there's many men who can brag about, I've never committed adultery. But then Jesus got them. He said, you know, you, you, basically he's saying, you, you're proud, so proud because you can say you've never committed adultery. Or you're proud because you've never actually killed anybody. But then he says, but what's in your heart is what really proves what you are. So, the pure in heart, what will you get if you're pure in heart? See God. You'll get to see God. Not just purity of life, which you could make a pretty good showing. I put that in parentheses. You know, that's what people who brag about, oh, I, I keep the Ten Commandments really good. Okay? You can, you can put on a pretty good show the way you live your life. But what's really in your heart you can say, oh, I'm not going to watch that movie. It's, it's a bad movie. I'm not going to watch it. But you really desire to watch it. You really want to watch it. Or you won't go see it with friends, but then you'll rent it or put it on your TV at home when you're all by yourself and watch it in private. Uh, you, won't, you won't look at certain things, but then you go hide and look at it on the Internet. So you can brag about, I don't, I don't do that, I don't do that. But then you go in secret and you do it anyway because that's, what, that's what's really in your heart. So, it's not just purity of life that you can kind of manipulate, but it's what's really the purity of your heart. Making, making a heart pure calls for a greater miracle than cleansing a leper or raising the dead. Good news is, Jesus is a miracle worker. Monks, they fled to monasteries, monasteries, right out in the middle of nowhere, climb a tall mountain, you can't get there easily. So think about the monks who left. They were trying to get away from the corruption of the world. Only problem is they took their impure hearts with them. So it never works. That makes sense? So... Separation in the Bible is not isolation, but more like insulation. Jesus was in the world, but he was not of the world. And we're called to be the same way. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. He was in touch with the need of this world and in touch with the power of heaven. Now, we had uh, an electrical issue at our house. It was weird. A whole circuit was just dead. It just all of a sudden it died, and I, 
ended up changing out a, a breaker. It wasn't tripped, and I pulled the breaker out, put a new breaker in there, and everything worked. I'm like, oh, it was just a bad breaker. And then it did it again. It wasn't the breaker. It was something else. So if you ever look inside of a panel box, take the cover off and the wires, and you get the black wires going up one side, the white wires going to the, all the grounds going to a bar, and it is an absolute mess. It is a horrible mess in there. And if you're going to start messing around with those things, I, I called Todd, come over here and watch me, so if something bad happens, at least everybody knows what happened to me. So I, I got my needle nose pliers, and I'm, I'm messing around. I said, it's this circuit, so it would be this wire, and, and I, boom, and sparks went everywhere. He's like, yep, you found it. It was insulation. Off, see, every wire has got insulation around it. And there was a place where the insulation on the wire was gone, and when it touched something else, it shorted it out and just killed that circuit. And, and why it didn't trip the breaker, I don't know. But I had to, we had to cut that wire. Yeah, we turned the power off. I'm, turned the power off. So we cut the wire. We, I, I you know, wire nutted. I put a new wire down, hooked it in, and everything's been working great since. Now, you can't just isolate every wire so that it won't ever come into corruption. It just needs to be insulated. Okay? There was no short circuit of that power that Jesus had. Knowing the needs of the world and then knowing the power of heaven, he was insulated with the Holy Spirit that it could not be penetrated. He was insulated. For us, purity of heart is impossible apart from saving, sanctifying grace. And the reality of Christ's indwelling presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what we got to have to be insulated from all the corruption of the world. Because we got, we're, we're instructed to go out to those very people that if you're trying to be pure in heart, you want to isolate yourself from. You cannot isolate from people that we're supposed to go minister to. But it's very important that you're insulated. You're hid in Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you, and you're protected. You can go, just like Jesus went right in with the sinners, he had them sit down with him, he ate and drank with them, and he was criticized for hanging out with sinners. But he was perfectly insulated. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God lives. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing us under the soul and the spirit. It, it knows everything about us. That word is what you read the word, you will see the, the, the whole secret of all of this. And you will be able to have victory in this. Verse 9, the peacemaker. 
what do you get if you're a peacemaker? You will be called the children of God. Jesus was referred to as, one of his names is the Prince of Peace. When he was born, angels sang, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. In the future, according to Isaiah 2.4, And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But that's sometime in the future. In the meantime... Those who have become partakers of the divine nature do what they can. That's what I'm talking about. Anybody here that's truly born again, you, while we're waiting for that day in the future, what we do to be peacemakers, we do what we can to bring men back into harmony with God and into peace with one another through the gospel message. A peacemaker is not a pacifist. The, I think it was the Quakers who were pacifists. They wouldn't go to war. They wouldn't fight. And the enemy came. They knew, what, they, knew they were pacifists. Easy targets. You won't get peace if you're that way. You will invite the opposite if you're that way. That's why we are... We, we have to have a very strong military so we can have peace, right? Look at what happens to world peace when we allow worldly leaders to take away the Bible and silence Christians. Look at, look at back, go back through history. Very common practice against, uh, that you can put uh, up against Hitler, Mao, Stalin. They eliminated the Word of God. They took God out of everything, got rid of Bibles, and anybody who professed to believe it, they were silenced. Is that happening in America? It's, 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 it's been happening very subtly for a, a long period of time now. So it's, it's, it's the devil's trick. Take, take a little bit here, take a little bit there to where you won't hardly notice it. it. Might upset you a little bit and then you get over it. We're heading to the same thing that Germany, Germany was a very God-fearing religious nation way back. The Christmas tree came from Germany, basically. The, the, a lot of history with uh, even Russia. So you have Stalin with Russia, you have Hitler with Germany, Mao with China, and the millions, I'm talking millions upon millions of people who ended up dying under their control. Mao was probably the worst one. And, he, and, and it was through starvation, trying to keep up with all the other world powers. He, he made uh, the farming was no more private. He made it uh, uh, communal, and everybody shared the same, basically a communist-type setup to where if you did nothing, you got the same as somebody who did all the work. 
and production fell. And then the, the race to, you know, for just being a military world power and all the different things that these crazy leaders want to compete with other leaders, they ended up tearing down farm equipment for the metal to do what they wanted to do militarily so nobody could farm anymore. And I'm, it was probably at least 40 million people died of starvation. It may have been way more than that. Numbers are tricky. We don't know. You can't trust the numbers sometimes. World peace cannot be achieved apart from the presence of the Prince of Peace. Even he must use battle, judgment, and the rule of nations with a rod of iron. Psalm 2.9 True peace is based on righteous principles. Genuine peace between mankind can only happen when there is peace between man and God in human hearts. Our goal as peacemakers to get people right with God, then they can get right with one another. Proverbs 16.7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Verse 10, the persecuted. That's always a lot of fun, right? To be persecuted and reviled. The last three verses here, uh, 10, 11, and 12, talks about how we're supposed to be happy when we're persecuted. All of these, think about every single one of these beatitudes and how lacking we are in every single one. It should point, just like the law of the Old Testament points you in the direction of your Savior. It, 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 it shows you that you have not lived up, you can never live up, and you need to get to a point to where you are poor in spirit. Where you are merciful and meek and all those things that are in these beatitudes so that you will look to Jesus the very first thing that I wanted you to see was Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, rightly dividing the word of God is so important. Men will mess things up. They will cause church to be to where no one wants to come to it. We have to be a people who take our eyes off of ourselves. If you gave that to somebody and said, here, this is what you got to be, and you got to get all these right, check them all off, and when you get them all right, and then you can come to church. Nobody would ever come. They would never get it done. We're going through Romans 6, 7. We're trying to get into 8 right now in Sunday school. It's, that's the same thing. If you don't understand chapter 6 of Romans, you're going to struggle just like chapter 7 shows you. And in chapter 7, if you read this on your own, 6, 7, and 8 of Romans, you will see how many times in chapter 7 that the word I, Paul says I, 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 I. I mean, it's just over and over and over again. And finally he said, who can deliver me from all this? It's Jesus Christ. Take your eyes off of I and put them on Jesus.
then you'll have victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for being there for us, being the answer that we can never live up. We are looking forward to a day when we will be raised up out of the grave in our glorified bodies and we will be what this says here in, in your good book. Father, we thank you that we have your beatitudes though, so that we can have something to strive for, to know what we should be like. But Father, I just pray that each and every one of us will see this as a way to get our eyes off of us and to turn them to you. And Father, we are instructed to be salt of the earth. And Father, we've heard people say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But Father, I pray that we would give them some salt. So that when they get there, they are so thirsty for you. And Father, we are, we are instructed to be the light of the world. And Father, we see that this, this, this world is a decaying and dark place. And Father, the salt, if we are salt of the earth, we can stop the corruption. It's, we, we can be a preservative by being salt in this earth, Father. And Father, you, you said to be a light and to not hide our light. Father, may we be the people who will show our light, that we would put it on a lampstand, we would put it on a hill, we will be, a, a, all, each and every one of us holding our little candle, that we will be together like a city on a hill, that people will be able to see it and be drawn to it. Father, I pray that we are that right now. That each and every one of us will let our little light shine and together we will be something that is noticed out in this community, and people will be drawn to that light. And Father, when those people come, that we let them know that we are sinners in need of a Savior just like they are. That we're no better, we just know a better Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.